Ladies and gentlemen, please listen carefully to the following announcement. Okay, good morning and welcome. If you don't know who I am, my name's Adrian. I'll be kind of taking us through things uh, over the next bit. Basically, this morning sees the start of our new series for a new year entitled Centered. Uh, as we've seen already through us coming together in terms of worship, that actually who we are as a community is divine, defined by who we're centered around. And actually, that isn't just true for who we are as a community. It's also true for who we therefore are as individuals. Because what and who we're centered on actually impacts how we then live out our lives. You see, what we're centered around then causes the rest of what makes up our life to orbit that. And therefore, we need to make sure that we're centered on the right thing. And we believe as a community that the one that we're to be centered on and around is God. And the rest of our life only ever makes sense when we're centered in and around Him. And therefore, at the start of a new year, what we wanted to do is just say, let's Make sure as we go forward from this point that we're centered on the right one. I don't know if you're anything like me, but sometimes you just can find that that, that changes slightly. And before you know it, you, you're finding yourself kind of slightly off kilter. Or maybe slightly to, starting to orbit something that, that isn't what you're wanting to orbit. And at the start of the new year, we're just trying to say, come on, let's ensure that as we go through this point, and my hope is it won't just be for the marker of this year, it'll be, become a rhythm of our life that we ensure with those that continually live out of the place of being centered on who God is. Now, maybe you're here this morning saying, well, I don't know if I could say it, put on my hand and say, yeah, I'm centered around God because I'm trying to discover who he is and what he looks like. And my hope is that through this morning, you'll start to have your appetite kind of wet or wetened, if that's the word, your appetite built, that's probably a better way of putting it, in order that you'd start to see how putting God at the center of your life could maybe make your life work better. And what I want us to do is we're going to see as that kind of intro video shows is that there's this rhythm that I want us to live with, that we want us to live with over this coming year. And that's the rhythm where we just continually daily are saying, pause within our life. And within that pause moment, center on what we want our life to ultimately be about. And then continue doing what we were doing. But to start off this morning, what I want us to start off with is actually with a remote control. I don't know what your house was like over Christmas, but the remote control is where the power lies. <laughs> See, there is this proverb that was pronounced that he who possesses the remote control possesses the control for life and everything that can be viewed therein. And in our household, the remote control is the place of power because 
If you've got the remote control, you get to determine what everyone else gets to see. Now, maybe that's not the same in your household, maybe in your friendship group that you're with, maybe in your family setting, maybe in the kind of shared house situation you're in, that actually you just have this rotor, and maybe you do it that each person has a day where they get the control of the, the remote control. But in ours, it's a free-for-all. And the thing with a remote control is it just allows you to do what it says on the tin. It allows you to take control. And you see, sometimes I reckon that within our lives, we need moments where we take up a remote control for our lives and hit a particular button, and that is the pause button. You see, the thing that I've realized is that living within the 21st centuries, life is full. Now, if you allow me to just do for a moment that if I was to hold up a mirror to our lives, living in a city within the 21st century, I think we could quickly start to deduce that actually our lives are full. See, living in a city means that actually there's always something going on. It's just wonderful to live in a city. I absolutely love living in a city. However, in a city, there's always somewhere you can go at any time of the day or night. Therefore, if you run out of milk, it isn't like living in the village where you kind of think, we'll have to wait till so-and-so opens their shop at 7.30 tomorrow morning on the dot. No, actually, I can go wherever I want. There are various places I can go at any time of the day or night and buy a pint of milk. We live in a city where there's just this 24-7 culture. I know when it got to the Christmas season just gone, I was down the bottom of my road in the kind of little mini-mart, and as I'm in there, I say to the guy, I say, hey, what's your opening over Christmas? He says, all right, oh, we're open 10 till 4. I said, what day? And he said, oh, every day. I said, what, Christmas Day? You're open 10 to 4. He said, yeah, yeah, definitely. I said, aha. There is no way we can run out of anything. Someone's always open. See, we live in a city which means there's something that is always there to do. There isn't a sense of a rhythm of, right, actually everything's pausing for a moment. It's just always continuously there. But you see, the thing with a city, the thing I've noticed is also that often you find that actually in a city, you relational connections are often spread out. So it takes time to invest in your relationships because you probably don't just live down the same corner of the street. You, you have to travel over to different areas. And it just takes time to invest in that. Often we find that many of us don't originate from this city. Or if we do, that actually friends and family have moved away from this city and therefore we can find that our life becomes full of getting in the car and traveling to go and see other people in order that we're investing in relationships that really value. So given that we've just got over a Christmas break, my guess is that many people in this room have spent their time traveling many different distances, as we saw last week, in order to invest in relationships. So life is full because of the city we're in. Life is full because of the technology that we have at our disposal. My guess is that most people in this room have a mobile phone that most people in this room have a mobile phone that's a smartphone. That they have this th device that just allows us to just stay connected. And it's this great enabling tool that allows us to just stay connected with the rest of the world. But the thing that it's done and that technology advancing has done is it's caused us to live with more information than any one person could ever digest at any point. So we're continuously getting filtered through 24 news channels social media, the web. No one ever looks at newspapers anymore because newspapers is yesterday's news. When we're living in a culture, actually, we can get the news that's about to happen. 
literally at our fingertips. It's just information around us continuously. It's not only that, that the technology you have that's continuously filtering, but there is so much we could get to see and know. Actually, it's also promising that actually we can be connected at any time, anywhere. And therefore, for most of us, we don't tend to switch off anything. We just have come to this point of understanding that wherever we are, there's going to be this device that connects us to the rest of the world and connects us to anyone who wants to connect to us at that point. Now, the wonderful kind of news of being called Adrian is in people's address books, you get to be A. It's quite obvious, isn't it? Now, the great thing of being that A in mobile phone address books is that when people don't put their phone on lock and it accidentally rings people, it generally goes to the first one, which is fantastic news for someone like me. So at three in the morning, I often have calls from varying people where I can just hear this muffled noise as the phone's in a pocket and lots of music. And I think to myself, they're having a good time. <laughs> I'm glad they wanted me to share this moment. <laughs> I wake up the rest of my house and say, come listen. No, I don't do that. But you see, technology means that we're continuously connected. The information is always around us, that there's never a time that we're really off. But it's not only city, it's not only technology, it's also just the life rhythms that we, we live with. It might be in terms of work. And so what you find is if you earn lots, actually what's expected is lots of your hours. And so you're expected to just be there 24-7. I know talking to my brother who... Um, Owns a little bit more than me. And I was talking to him, and he said he knew that his life had got bad when he was at someone's wedding with three mobile phones in his pocket. This was his day off, and he still could be contacted by anyone from around the world in the company he works with through three different devices. He got rewarded for it, but it was like, actually, now we want all of your life. But it may not be that we're, we're one of those people who's earning lots of money. Maybe actually we say, well, actually, I don't earn a lot of money. But you see, to make kind of life work, if we're not earning lots, what we find is that we have to just do more than one job. So gone are the days where people just had one job for a lifetime. Actually, often people find that they're having to do two or three or four different jobs just to make time and, and, and life work. And so people find that, that actually work has become something that just fills all of life. But it might not be work. Maybe it's the fact that we're out of work. That might be because at this point in time, we're seeking employment. And we just find that there just aren't as many jobs at the moment. And therefore, we're just spending all our time trying to find one, but also feeling the pressure of the fact that actually we're in a society that says it's just not good enough. We need to find one quicker. And the pressures of, of finances, of how do we actually even get to feed ourselves? And so we find this pressure of being out of work. It might not be through being out of work because we're seeking work. It may be because we're not in work because we're in education. We've already kind of bigged up and showed our love to all the students this morning, but, but the reality is this. If you're a student here, we recognize that there is a pressure that you are uniquely on and under, a pressure that promises that you're actually studying, which is costing you continuously daily. And you feel the pressure of that, that your life is one where you're racking up debt at the moment and hoping at some point that you're going to earn something that will allow you to pay something back. And that's a pressure that I know you live under. 
But it's only that. It's also that recognizing that in order to pay off what you've already started to spend, you've got to earn something that's pretty good. And therefore, the demands on students now to ensure they come out with very, very good qualifications from school through to university are very high. So life becomes full of just needing to say, actually, there's just more I need to do. Although we joke about it, it's rarely that I speak to students who say, oh yeah, I'm not doing much this week. I thought I'd watch some daytime TV, and then that's about it. Generally, I speak to people who, yes, do watch daytime TV, but within it are also working lots, both day and very, very late at night, in order that they can get the best results they can do. But maybe it's not that it's that we're out of work because of education or seeking work. Maybe it's just because of the stage of life we're in. Maybe we're someone who's full-time at home caring for children. Man, I've looked in on that one. That's one that just fills your life. It's relentless. There's never a break point. It's just there. And small people who just know how to push every button that you ever had life becomes full. Maybe it's not through caring for someone else. Maybe it's because you're knowing that at this point in your life, you need to take care of yourself. And so maybe you're in a program that's just trying to help you deal with your past in order that you can have a future. And so as you give yourself to that, just recognize that that it fills your life because it means that you have to face up to stuff that you've never wanted to face up to before. See, life is full And I've not even mentioned kind of if you're in a family situation and so you start to multiply it out and you find that actually there's just loads of opportunities that are there for every single family member. I know with many of the friends that I speak to, what they talk about is how they're just running diaries for their kids and they try and fit their pits in between them. And we also live in a society where actually family is just very complex now. It isn't any longer just one set model. There's just many different models that are there. And what we find isn't that I'm trying to start the new year saying, whoa, look in the mirror. Isn't this kind of hard? No, rather it's just a reality check of just saying, man, many of these things are really good of what makes up our life. But within our life, I reckon that most of us say, actually, our life is pretty full. Every person I spend time talking to, they generally say, my life is busy. And I stopped saying that word busy because I just thought, man, all of us can say that one. It's just, it is what it is. But even though it is what it is, it's important that we don't think it's out of our control. In the reality of our lives being full, at some point we have to take back control, get the remote control, and press pause. And he sees in that moment as we press pause that we get to ask the question, what's my life centered on at this point in time? He sees all these things that are going on in our life. It's ensuring that at the very core, at the very center, that what we want to be there is there. See, Jesus got asked this question when he was on earth. A, a kind of great religious leader came up to him. And many different religious leaders have been asking him questions at the time and asking kind of, kind of questions to try and check him out or to kind of catch him out. And this religious leader had asked, seen all these different questions being asked. And then he just thought, actually, there's one question I've got for you, Jesus, and it's this. How do you make life work? How are we to make our life 
work? How are we to live in order that our life would be all that it could be? And he dresses it up in a different way. And this is how Mark puts it. Mark 12, verse 28 to 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them good answers, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, we can hear that and say, all right, commandments, that's like the rules. Now, what he's saying is, actually, the commandments is a way that you should live. Therefore, in all of these different ways that can make life work, and there were over 600 at this point in time, what's the one, then, that really makes life work? And Jesus says this, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That was him referring back to what had always been there for this people of God, that they would use what Jesus is about to say as an opening prayer daily to who God is. And Jesus is saying, hey, you know when you pray this, it's for a reason. It's for a reason because actually to make life work, you've got to remember who you're centered on. And Jesus continues. This is the command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus says, actually, if you want to make life work, then you've got to center yourself on God. And you say, oh, no, no. He says, love God and love people. No, as we'll go on to see next week, actually, love people always comes out of loving God. You cannot love people if you're not loving God. You, don't, you, you may think you are, but I promise you, when you fully understand how God loves it, then causes you to love people in a totally different way. The other is true as well. You cannot love God without loving people. Loving people is always a byproduct of loving God. See, Jesus says this. He says, if you want to make life work, you need to ensure that your life is centered in and around God. Now, in that, it isn't that he says, Actually, you're going to kind of make it work by obeying God. He doesn't say this is about rules and regulations. It's about you now saying, as you want to make life work, then obey God with everything. Now, Jesus says, if you want to make life work, love God with everything. Jesus wants us to understand that our lives need to have at the very center the call to relationship. The call to relationship with God, who is everything. Now, in that, you could quickly then say, well, then, is that the meaning I've just got to work hard at this? I work hard at loving God with my mind, with my heart, with my strength, with my soul. At the very core of my being, I'm just giving it to say, right, let's work hard at this, let's love God. Okay, so Adrian said, pause, right, center, oh, yeah, work hard, love God, love God, love God, oh, yeah, continue. Now, that, that's never meant to be it. It's always meant to be that we're caught up in this relationship where we're responding to who God is in his love for us, in us centering around him and saying, we're now going to love you. See, in us pausing, we then need to center, but we center on the cross. We center on who God is and how God loved us. In writing to the church in Rome, Paul writes this, says, Romans 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, for many of us in this room, at this point in time, these are going to be familiar verses. For some of us, it may be the first time we've heard it. 
For many of us, though, we wouldn't have heard it before. The danger is when I get to this point, say, well, where we're going to be centered is on God. And where we start from is responding to his love for us as we think, oh, yeah, yeah, I know God loves me. I want us to pause for a moment because I want us to build in a daily rhythm that actually says, no, I'm not just going to say, oh, yeah, I know you love me, God. I'm going to continuously go back to the fact that you do love me and what your love looks like, the substance of your love for me, the purpose of your love for me. The change that your love brings in me. Because actually, it's as we do that, we remind ourselves of the one we're centered on. And therefore, why we would love him with everything. See, in this verse, what we find is the substance of who God is and how he loves. It says that the only place you need to look to know that God loves you is the cross. Jesus is life, death, and resurrection. Why does it always point there? Because Jesus' life pointed to the cross. He then died on the cross, but the cross that we look at is always empty because Jesus rose again. See, God's love is demonstrated on the cross. That's such a significant point because actually it means that God has always been love. It isn't that God started loving when he did the cross. It's actually, it was a, an outworking, a demonstration. Say, I want to show humanity how much I love humanity. Who I am as God is God is love. That who God is as Father, Son, and Spirit is one, a being that is continuously loving one another. And that love is demonstrated on the cross in order that every single one of us will be able to receive and know that love. Well, what is that love like? Well, it's sacrificial. It was marked by Jesus, who is God, dying for us. It's a love that was willing to give everything in order that we could gain everything. That was the benchmark. That was the point of the cross was God saying, I need to make a way that everything that's been broken, everything that has caused humanity to say, maybe we can make this work in our own strength. And all the brokenness that happened out of that, of God coming and saying, actually, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this right. But the only way to make this right is through myself taking on all the brokenness in order that I can offer wholeness. And I'm going to do it because I love to. And so God demonstrates his love, which is sacrificial, willing to give everything in order that we could gain everything. But also what we find is that God's love is unconditional. Paul writes, while we were still sinners. In other words, while we were those who were still caught up in our own interests, those who were still saying, actually, maybe we should be God. Maybe we know how to make life work. Maybe God isn't where it's at. And living, saying, with me at the center and all of the repercussions that then causes. But God didn't say, well, now you've kind of done these good things. Now I can see that you've started to turn towards me. I'm now going to love you. But actually, no, no. When we were at our most point of saying, God, I don't need you. God says, I love you. And I'm going to sacrifice for you. So God's love is characterized by sacrifices, also characterized as unconditional. But it's also there for our good. Let's look at these next verses. This is from... Uh, an interpretation of the Bible, the message, which I'm finding just very helpful. Moment, Ephesians 1, 3 to 6. This is how, again, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, explaining something of what the cross has done. And in here, having through Romans said, kind of the, the kind of 
context or the characteristics of God's love, here what we get is the purpose of God's love. And this is what uh, the writer kind of helps us see. It says, long before God, he laid down the earth's foundations. God, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love. Let's just pause there for a moment. Let's not allow scripture to just go, oh, well, that's quite nice. No, what we're saying here is that before God had created everything, he had focused his love on humanity. He'd focused his love on you and me. Why? In order to, that we would be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. See, God's love is characterized as sacrificial, as unconditional, in order that it would bring purpose into our lives, in order that it would make us whole. The way we can find that, that sense of brokenness, both in respect to how we can find relating with others, how we can find relating within ourselves, how we can find relating within the world, but God says, no, through my love, demonstrated through Jesus on the cross, his life, death, and resurrection, I'm going to make you whole. But only that we'd be made whole, also that we'd be made holy. In other words, those that are set apart like God, that we're made to be like God, as he is 100% pure, right, just, loving. God says, now, through Jesus, I, I make you like that. Which then means that it isn't just that we're made whole and we're made holy. It's also what God fully always organized, orchestrated to do, and that is that we get caught up in his family. We wouldn't be those who stood at the edges thinking, God, you're amazing. Amazing. Rather, we're those that are caught up in who God is as Father, Son, and Spirit, and said, now we belong to this family. That's where our purpose and meaning comes from. And that in that place of being centered on this God who's characterized by love, who, whose purpose was in loving us to make us whole, to make us holy, to make us part of his family, it then changes everything for you and for me. It changes everything in terms of our past. Because it means that God's love means that we're free from all guilt and shame from anything that has happened to us. It changes our present because it means that God's love gives us this deep sense of identity to live from. That we're those that are unconditionally loved by God. We're those that now know that we're accepted, therefore. Not for what we've done, but for who we are before God. It gives this identity, also gives us this great purpose. This great purpose of just knowing more of God's love and revealing more of God's love. And then it gives us this future. This future that where we get to see and savor more and more of God's love. That we have a hope. But actually the point is that God wants us to know more and more of his love. If you read the end of the Bible, what you find is this story that continues. That says actually what's going to remain forever? The fact that God loves us. That's the thing. And what we get to do is finally get to see him face to face where we get to discover the fullness of his love for us. We then get to discover what a world lo is look looks like that is characterized fully by his love as he restores everything. See, God's love isn't something that we think, oh yeah, that's nice. It's kind of there at the beginning then we get to meaty things. No, rather it's something that we allow to drip and continuously penetrate the very depths of who we are. 
And as a good friend of mine said recently, is as we begin to do that, we realize in understanding the part of God's love that we have, we suddenly realize in the depths of it, there's so much more that we don't know. And so it draws us in, in order that we pursue more of understanding, more of God's love. So we be those that are shaped, both in terms of our past, of how we look at it, our present in how we live in it, and our future of how we're drawn to more of it. That we become those that are just centered in who God is, who's a God of love. And it's out of that centering who God is as a God of love, having clicked the pause button, we remember, that, oh man, God, you're a God who's revealed your love to me. You God, you're a God who's revealed your love to me with purpose. God, you're a God who's revealed your love with purpose in order that my life would be characterized like this. How can I not but respond and say, God, I want you to be at the center of everything, which brings us to trainers. These are a great pair of trainers because they ran the Birmingham Half Marathon. That's a lie. They ran half of the Birmingham Half Marathon because the other half, my knee gave, and I limped the other half, dragging my right leg across the distance. Don't, ah. <laughs> I tell you what, it's an inspiration. It's a story that's yet to be told by film. George Clooney at the moment is not wanting to play the part of me. Slightly aged me but I think probably the same color hair. Um, but in it, when I ran that race in those trainers, this is what it took. At the beginning, I thought I had strength. I thought I could probably do this. I hadn't done a lot of training, as my knee giving up showed. But I thought I could probably do this. I also had passion. I thought, man, I really want to complete this race. I'm going to give myself to it. I'm going to set off, and whatever happens, I'm going to end it. And I promise you, I, with many times where people were saying, why don't you stop? And I thought, no, I'm going to finish this. Paid for it for months afterwards, but I said, I'm going to finish it. It also took me to use my mind. I promise you, they got a bit where I thought I'd finished the race, and then suddenly realized there was still another quarter of it to go. And the pain barrier was quite high. Other people were running past me quite fast, and there was no one supporting. And at that point, what kept me going was in my head saying, I can do this. Also calculating, do I think the long-lasting effects on my knee are worth it? And so it took something of my mind. So it took my strength, it took my passion, my heart, it took my mind. Ultimately, it took all of me to finish the race. And I remember when I crossed the line, and I tried to jog to cross, but I couldn't. I kind of went like this. And it's not very glamorous. They filmed it. I watched it. I thought, please never anyone find this. But here's the deal. That half marathon, it wasn't a full marathon. It was only a half one. Let's not kind of big it up too much. It was a half marathon, and it took everything for me to complete it. Our lives are like marathons. And I promise you, they take, it takes everything to keep centered on God. That's why Jesus says, yeah, just love God. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, no, you've got to love God with everything. In actual fact, in the fullness of what life is, in all the, the complexities of it, actually to say centered on God is going to take all of you. Even in response to all of his love for us, we're still going to need to kind of to use all of us to stay centered on him. 
that in that moment where we click the pause button and we say, God, I center on you and remember all of your love towards me. It then allows me to get to this point and say, before I continue, I need to say, God, I want to love you with everything. I'm going to love you, as Jesus said, with all of my heart, with all of my passion, with all of my appetite, with all of my emotion. God, I'm going to love you with all of my mind, my intellect, my understanding, my questioning. I I come and I, I submit it to your love and say, God, I want to love you with everything. I want to come and, and love you with all of my strength, my might, my ability. I'm going to come and love you with that. I'm going to come and love you with the very core of my being, with my soul. Everything I am, I choose at this moment to say is centered on you. And in that moment of centering on you with everything I am, I now continue with the rest of life. Because I realize in centering everything on you, everything else starts to orbit around you. Everything else starts to work. So we pause, we center, and then we continue. But the challenge is this. Do we? See, I can say this. I can say, yeah, let's just do this through each day. Let's have moments, pause, center, continue. But my guess is that sometimes that might prove hard. And what I've done is I've just asked Dave, who's just going to come up for a moment to help me illustrate this. Now, for some of you, you'll know this song. For others, if you don't, I'm not going to play it. Uh, Just there's the radio edit that I'm more encouraging than the other edit. Please don't listen to any other edit of that song apart from the radio edit. But there's a song that came out, a dance track last year that we as a family really enjoyed, only the radio edit. Please keep hearing that. Um, And it went like this. It went, eat, sleep, rave, repeat. Eat, sleep, rave, repeat. And it's this dance track that was basically saying how you can make life work work is like this. Eat, sleep, rave, repeat. Eat, sleep, rave rave, repeat. Eat, sleep, rave, repeat. My family can keep going on that for a long time, I promise you. Most of the journey back from Cornwall was eat, sleep, rave, repeat. Now, what I'm wanting to put in us is a daily rhythm that's saying this. Within the fullness of everything that's going on, we have moments where we pause. In that pause that we center. Center on God's love for us. And then our love for him. And then we just continue. Continue in our life, but then we repeat. is isn't like a once thing. Some reason, someone had this great idea of saying, actually, what you do is you pause, center, continue, first thing in the morning, and then life's all right. Life doesn't work, I promise you, if you do that. This is a repeat button function. This has to be on the loop, otherwise the rhythm will not work, I promise you. It will get out of kilter. But my concern is this, and Dave's just going to help me illustrate. Dave's going to be Dave for a day. And Dave's going to start by pausing. So Dave's going on in his life. He's studying hard, kind of thinking for his future in his marriage, thinking, man, I've got to get a job soon. I'm trying to think all these complexities out. And with all those complexities, he just so often presses the pause button. And in pressing the pause button, he then goes to center. And he just looks and remembers God's love for him. And then he responds, his love for God. Then he goes to the point. <laughs> and from that point, he continues. So he just starts jogging. And he's jogging on in life, going on with his studying. Just keep going. Then he says things. Actually, it's a pause moment. So he comes, pause. Center. Continue. And he keeps going. Pause. Center. Continue. And he keeps going. And the thing is, as day goes on, suddenly like time becomes a bit different. So he's pause, center, 
continue. Pause. Center. Continue. 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 Pause. Center. Continue. 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 Pause. Center. Continue. 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 Pause. Center. Continue. 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 Pause. See, we can look at it and think this is a bit crazy. And it started to get a bit boring towards the end. Just keep continuing. My challenge to me, my challenge to you is this. I think we might set out tomorrow. Pause, center, continue. And I think we might do it a couple of times. But then pressure will start to build. And we think, man, the pause needs to be shorter. <laughs> it's going to happen. Sorry, it's me. <laughs> Let's not worry about it. I fall off many things. This. And too often we find ourselves tripping over the cross. No, this, um, <laughs> there are so many things I could say, but I need to be disciplined. There's, do we get these points? And suddenly the pause becomes a quicker pause. And you think, oh, yeah, yeah, but I need to continue. I need, I need to get to that. And oh, yeah, sense, yeah, God, God, I know you love me. Let's continue. And before we know it, the rhythm has continued and to the point where we've just forgotten pause, we've forgotten centered, and we're just continuing. And before we know it, it isn't a day, it's a week. And we find ourselves back in a room at a cricket ground, thinking, why am I here? And suddenly thinking, pause, center, continue. I don't want us this year to be a company of people that once a week hit the pause button. I wonder what it would look like if we were a company of people that daily, rhythmically, repeatedly hit the pause button of our lives in order that we can ensure that we're centered on the right one. And that from that point of centering around the right one, we would then continue in our lives. And so my encouragement for us this morning is this. If you're here and you'd say, well, I've never ever centered my life around God, then for you, I just appeal to you, why not use this year to investigate what your life would look like if it was? If you're one who said, yeah, I have said, I'm going to center my life around you, God. Or maybe it's that you've come and said, I, I remember doing that, but it's just, I've just lost sight of it. The this year, I want us to say, as we've already had happen through worship, let's use it today, a moment where we say, God, I want to put in a different rhythm. I want to be one who lives this year, daily, moment by moment when I need to, saying, pause, center, and then we'll continue in life. Can I ask us to stand? We're going to finish, I'm just going to pray for us. Just while we stood, just one of the practical things that we want to do uh, to help us in this pathway of just pause, center, continue is uh, starting from uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, there'll be just a quick comment. It's not a commentary, it's a comment. Looking through the book of Ephesians, a couple of verses at a time through the message version. 
there's just going to be a helpful thing for some, won't be for everyone here, a helpful thing of just a moment where you can start your day pausing, centering on something of who God is, having some questions to ask yourself as you then continue through the good day, giving yourself to pausing, centering, continuing. Can we just close our eyes? God, I just ask, would you be with us this coming year? God, as the encouragements have already come through our time of just seeking you, that we want to be those that just seek more of your face this year. God, we recognize just with the complexities of what we live with that so often our, our lives can become centered around things that are not you. And God, we just say that today we want to center ourselves again on you. And God, we want to give ourselves this year to actually moment by moment just coming back to who you are of your love for us and therefore our love in response to you. Understanding as we do that, life will work better. And I pray, God, that we'd get to understand many of the adventures that you've got for us as we seek to live this way. So God, I pray for those of us who don't know you, I pray, God, would you draw us more in to your love for us. I pray for those of us who've said, yeah, we, we want you to be the center. I pray for those who've lost sight of that. I pray, draw back. And for many of us, I pray, would we live differently, of moment-by-moment rhythm, pause, center, and then continue. Amen. Okay, if you would uh, like to be prayed for about anything, we've got a team of people who'd love to pray for you. How we do this here is ask people to come to the front, not because it's showy, but rather because we send everyone else to the back, because there's going to be tea and coffee served at the double doors there. Uh, So if you'd like to be prayed for, we'd love to pray for you for anything. If you've got children, they'd love to see you, so please go through to the Oasis Suite now and collect your children. Otherwise, uh, grab yourself a drink, a biscuit at the back, and we'll see you next week.